Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, welcome to Film Fandango, the film podcast. I'm David Reed, and... Sadly, Marek Larwood cannot be with us this week. He's he is, died. He's, he's not died. Uh, he, the he, internet thinks he's died. Something even less likely has happened. He's been gainfully employed, oh. uh, which is exciting. So joining me uh, as a blast from the past for uh, Absolute Radio Film Fandango listeners is Daniel Wards. Hello. How are you doing? I'm all right. Good. Uh, have you been enjoying films lately? Um... No, I've been enjoying the entertainment package of Now TV. So I've been <laughs> who sponsor you, I believe. Yeah, who sponsors me? Uh, so I've watched loads of telly. Oh. Films are dead, mate. Oh no, films are over. No, we don't. Here on Film Fandango, we don't hold that. No one cares about films anymore. It's all about telly. We're like Top Gear here. We absolutely must destroy the electric car, otherwise our careers are over. So we, well, they're over anyway, aren't they? It's a dated reference. Yeah. Um, I've been to the cinema this week. Um, I went to see uh, Sicario. Have you seen the trailer, heard about this film? It looks really fun. It does I look really Emily fun, doesn't Blunt, it? See, Emily Blunt is this generation's Sigourney Weaver. Uh, interesting. Uh, elaborate. She was in Edge of Tomorrow. She's and she in was, Edge of Tomorrow. She's really good. She did that really difficult, slow um, salute to the sun, didn't she, in the training room? I, that everyone went, ooh, guns. I want to look like Emily Blunt. Right. I want this muscle tone of Emily Blunt in Edge of Tomorrow. Okay. I'm slightly worried she probably achieved it by not eating anything and then doing like loads of arm mu- muscles and it was unsustainable. Arm muscles. Arm- <laughs> Just eating muscles. She did lots of arm, lots of reps. Yeah. Maybe she did loads of deadlifts. I think to build muscle you just have to do, it just just totally beast the muscles you've got with weights, don't you? No, because we've all got muscles, David. Uh, Speak for yourself. If you get rid of the fat around the muscle, the muscle will look like a muscle. Especially when you put very powerful film lights on it. I mean, that's the thing. You have to be crazy thin in order to look like um, an action figure, which is what all people in films look like these days. So, I mean, maybe it's a very unhealthy... Look. I imagine she's not doesn't look like that all the time. Like she probably just does it for the film and then goes, Oh thank God, Eclairs. Yeah. Um like Christina Aguilera. Is that a thing she does? She swims down for her music videos and then uh, Does she? Puffs up, yeah. Oh right, puffs up. Not that I have not that there's anything wrong with either of those things. No. 
there's certain yeah. pressures upon a, a pop uh, princess like Christina Aguilera. I'd just make them cut my face out and then stick it, like animate it onto a body in the pop video. Like they did with uh, Cersei Lannister in yeah, Game of Thrones. Exactly. No one noticed that that wasn't Cersei Lannister. No one did at all. The computers are very good at that. Anyway, Sicario. Mm-hmm. I was very excited by this. Uh, if you haven't seen the trailers, people, um, Emily Blunt plays... An FBI agent who Ooh. is yeah, but she's like sort of, Clarice Starling. Very much so. Um, she and she's idealistic, like Clarice Starling as well. Does and, she smell of something nice? Um, there was no. Oh. It wasn't a smell of vision <laughs> presentation. So I, big it, thing of that I mean, if it was, she smelled of uh, discarded old popcorn. And, uh, and fizzy drinks and carpet. Did you go to the Odeon? Um, I went to the View Islington. Just as bad. Yeah, it's pretty pretty shocking. It doesn't have a yog. It doesn't have a yog. Um, yeah, the, every single member of staff acts like it's their first day and nobody's given them any training. Um, I asked for an Americano. They have proper big chrome fancy coffee machines all the yeah. way along their back wall. I asked for an Americano and they went, is that, a co- is that the coffee? <laughs> yeah. Oh yes, wow! Did you read that thing that Christopher Nolan said about the experience in a cinema no. and how cinemas have to like raise their game because people are like, why would I pay fifteen quid for this? He's quite right. I just wait for it to come on a big telly. The only the only cinemas that do it properly, I think, are the independent ones who actually care about film. Yeah, and uh, the IMAX, I, and which is weird because the IMAX is run by Odeon, but yeah. it's also sort of. The one in London, at least, is also BFI, yeah. so they sort of... But he was also, because he's, he's campaigning for uh, film to be used again, rather than... Di- I don't know why Christopher Nolan wants... But his films are, his films must cost so much money if you make them on a film, rather than digital cameras. Yeah. He's saying because it's better, but also he said, it's not just about storytelling, if it was just about storytelling, we'd all be making radio plays, and it made me laugh, because that's what you do. Right. <laughs> Uh, well, the different, the different. His films certainly aren't all about storytelling. No, and they're, they're, not. they're They're rarely about storytelling at all. No. They're sort of a meandering, cascading mess with some beautiful photography in it. Um, exactly. I bet he couldn't tell a story in forty-five minutes that was broadcastable at two o'clock in the afternoon. Well, he's also wrong about story and radio because radio you can't really do subtext because you can't see what people's faces are like when they say something. You have to do that um, sitcom acting of. No, no, I'm, I'm not lying. No, I'm not, I'm not lying at all. Uh, that's all you can really do. Radio um, four afternoon dramas. Yours are good. Thanks, mate. Sicario. Okay, she plays an idealistic FBI agent who is seconded into a special task force to try and do something to do with drugs coming over the border from Mexico. It's not important, mate. Wasn't important in Breaking Bad. There's barely any plot in that. Oh no, hang on, it was really important. So. Um, she, uh, the opening uh, scenes of her is her going into a house as the head of a SWAT team yes. and uh, nearly getting killed because she seems to be bad at it. Does she see a spider and run out again? No, she's nearly shot by a shotgun. Oh. Uh, but then it, they discover that, uh, the anyway, I don't want to spoiler everything. And then she's seconded to a team with uh, Josh Brolin. I don't know who that is. He was the big brother in The Goonies. And then he was uh, I mean, I know, I know much celebrated for No Country for Old Men, which is quite similar which to I this. haven't seen. Yeah. Well, anyway. I, I know the name, people listening. I just can't put a face to it. Sure. Do you want me to if show Jeremy you? If Jeremy Renner hadn't been in the Mission Impossible films, I'd be the, exactly the same with him. Josh Brolin is the new... Uh, um, 
Oh, he looks nice. He looks like he can dance. <laughs> you reckon? He, looks... he, he sort of plays uh, sort of smug cowboyish Han Solo types, yeah, really. Yeah, they can all dance. I'm sure. Um, okay, so she's got into this team and her partner isn't allowed to come. He's Daniel Kalua. Boyfriend uh, partner or... No, 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 just uh, with guns gun and... Gun partner, fla- okay. Gun partner, Daniel, Daniel Kalua. Kalua yeah, from, from Tea all Leaf. British telly? From, from all British telly, Tea Leaf. Uh, from Sackerville. He was the original Marion in Mongrels. Oh. He was in the pilot and then they got rid of him and cast uh, Why was he fired? He was too laid back. They wanted Marion to be really weird. Marion was one of my favourite characters. If not, no, Marion was my favourite character on Mongrels. Mongrels was a uh, puppet show that Daniel Ward wrote for. Um, Marion would play by Dan Tetzel. Oh, buddy. Um, so, anyway, back on to this film, if I can. Benicio del Toro. That's quite all right. Quite all right. Benicio del Toro plays a shady um, Colombian man, and we don't quite know his background. And it's sort of that uh, this idealistic FBI agent is in too deep. She doesn't know what she's got herself in for, even though she's women. That is entirely (laughs) my point. Now. I thought I was really going to enjoy this. The action sequences are great. The cinematography is fantastic. The story uh, telling from the source material of the script is wonderful. It's all brilliant. It's really, really good. I have never in my entire life seen a film where the protagonist has less agency. Um, as in, she she does nothing and affects nothing. And there's it's often it's it's a sort of trope with writers to say that you know your your protagonist needs to have agency they don't always if that's what the story is about yeah. is the fact they don't this scene i i can't put my finger on why on earth they didn't let the only woman in the film do anything like when she she's seconded to this team because she's supposed to be good at her job yeah. but the only thing you see her do at her job is fail at her job and nearly get killed um, then she just be crazy. She is totally out of her depth while all of these cool men are doing sort of one line quips and being all um, the um, the American wet dream of the uh, the psychopath uh, laughing boy cowboy kind of man. You know okay. the one who quips and then just murders people <laughs> like Buffy. Yeah, everyone else is that. But well, no, she murders you know horrible monsters. These guys just sort of murder Mexicans. But that's kind of that's why Buffy's better. I guess so. But oi. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, listeners. Uh, next door's dog, who is an asshole, is uh, is setting <laughs> off Buddy asshole. a bit. Um, now, and and she she does nothing. The, the 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 incredible moment in this film is when her partner, who has just acted like chauffeur because he's not been allowed to join in this special team, of course, and also because he is a black man. And so well, that doesn't seem to come into uh, it. But they're a bit racist. America's a tiny bit racist. Sure, tiny bit. But he. Uh, he goes, what's going on? Why don't you tell me what, what's going on? She goes, don't ask me, I don't know. And he goes, well, I'm going to ask your boss. Oh, and so fuck's sake. she wants to know what's going on, but doesn't ask. Maybe and then the, another man arrives and asks for her, and then they find out what's going on. Um, she she literally text with does emojis. nothing. I mean, the final moment of this film, the entire final moment comes down to whether she will do something or not. And guess what happens in the end? Does she not do it? She doesn't do anything. Ah, of course she doesn't. It is phenomenal. The, the but the final act also, she isn't in. It follows the more interesting character and in his male character and in his revenge narrative for about 
15, 20 minutes and she's not in that bit. It's bizarre. It feels like an afterthought. Like they saw Mad Max Fury Road and went, tough women on the posters, it's the zeitgeisty thing, come on guys, let's do it. Well, this is what... David's already told me how much he hated this film because you know we. I didn't together. hate it, but it really, really bothered me. But what I said, and I, I reckon this is probably what they did. You're right. On the back of Fury Road, they filmed a film. So obviously, when you film a film, you've got more film than you need for the film. Sometimes. Sometimes. Apparently, Christopher Columbus for the first Harry Potter film, yeah, filmed um, a six-hour film and then edited it down to what he wanted, which is why Rick Mail's not in it, Prick. which is. Uh, Colossal waste of money. Um, well, that's why Christopher Nolan filming on... If you film on film, it's very expensive. So that's yeah. why you can only really do it with digital stuff. Um, I was saying to you that it sounds to me like this is a film about Benicio Del Toro. Yes. Uh, and they've gone, oh, let's just re-edit it. So, like, on the... see, Because obviously when you film anything, you can cut it to be... If you've got enough footage, you can sort of cut any story you want. That's yes. what they do with reality TV. So they've probably gone... Oh, everybody's going to get really excited by Emily Blunt. Let's cut it around her. But she isn't the story. It's really odd, because she is the protagonist 100%. It follows her all the way through, and it's it, she's the only one we get any insight into. But I bet she in just that original script she wasn't the protagonist. Well, I've been reading around it, and it got into a bit of controversy in the lead-up, because um, the producers were accused of sexism, because they wanted to change her part to being a man. Okay. Now, a man with no agency is still the same story. It just it feels different when she's the only woman in it. And yeah. everybody else has agency. Everybody else is potent and powerful and making positive change That's in the world. That's a story you've not seen before. Yeah. A man at the centre of something who has no agency. A woman who has no agency. Oh, <laughs> oh look, it's life. <laughs> um, it's really strange. She is not kick-ass at all. In the two battle combat situations, actually no, three combat situations. She hides under a table. She she gets uh, she almost gets killed and has to dive to the floor in order to protect herself. Um, she kills a policeman um, that was going to kill her, and that's all that he was going to do. And she bangs her head on a wooden beam. <laughs> In a night mission. It doesn't sound very good. It's very, very well shot and all of the sequences are great. It's just, I don't know why it's her story. I mean, you haven't seen it and it's. It, you're right, it's Benicio Del Toro's story. It's just this revenge narrative that you slowly get to see from a third party's point of view. Mm-hmm. And that isn't interesting enough. It's. It seems to be a story about how, hey, idealists... Men are going to kill people, yeah, so shut up. Um, which is, like, men are going to kill people if we want positive change against violent people. And you liberals, represented here by idealistic women, you you, you leave us to be, yeah? That seems to be what this is about. Because Del Toro even says, you know, uh, you, uh, this is something like, this is wolf country and you're not a wolf. Like, towards the end. It's like... Oh, God. It's not the film I wanted it to be at the end of the day. Well, it does not sound very good. How many Davids do you give it? It's so hard because I know I've focused on the thing that bothered me, but it got under my skin bothered me. 
the rest of the film for a sort of thriller slash action thing is very good. Well, let's judge it as if we were Christopher Nolan and it's all about the story. Oh, no, it's not. It's not about the story at all. He'd love it then. You know what? I'd give it probably six and a half, seven. But it's... I've not seen it. I'm giving it minus two. Wow. Okay, so that's that's four in total. Yeah. Four and a half, five. Yeah. Um, Well, there you go. Um, Sicario, which apparently means Hitman. Oh, and does Emily Plump, Plump? Plump, Emily Plump. <laughs> does Emily Plump uh, play a Hitman? No. No. And Sicario is a masculine word, so it's a, the Sicario is Benicio Del Toro. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I mean, come on, Hollywood. At least give it a different name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, there's no doubt in my mind that, 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 that when that landed on someone's desk, it was like, it's a really cool revenge thriller about a hitman. Oh, great. Can we put a lady in it and put her on the poster? Yeah. And all they've done is they've probably just cut five scenes that open no, it's, Del Toro. No, I mean, it's tricky. I, yeah, they have cut stuff with Benicio Del Toro. I read about that as well. And uh, to make him more mysterious. But again, they've cut him to make him bigger in the story if you know what I mean yeah, yeah. so he's got fewer scenes but it, it, he's got he's far more interesting I love Emily Blunt I think she's really good and and versatile as well the fact that she can play sort of these kick-ass warrioresses in Edge of Tomorrow and still do comedy and have and... you seen that Paddy Considine film she was in The Which Summer one? of My Love no it's really good when was that it's really, it was early uh, one of her early films it must have been about 10 12 years ago because it's ever so good. I don't remember anything about it. Wasn't she? Really good. Didn't she become famous after Devil Wears Prada, where yeah. she played the receptionist? Yeah. Um, My Summer of Love. My Summer of Love. Yes, I have heard of that. I didn't know it was Paddy Considine. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Well, it, uh, the IMDb synopsis is in the Yorkshire countryside, working class tomboy Mona, played by Natalie Press, meets the exotic pampered Tamsin, Emily Blunt. Yeah. Uh-huh. Over the summer season, the two young women discover they have much, and then I can't read on from that. Oh, they have much in common. Oh, in common, okay. Uh, I imagine. Um, what uh, I do, I can't remember. Say one thing about Emily Blunt. So I did a thing with Harriet Walter. Yes. She's a dame. American listeners, that means she's practically the queen. Um, not that she does panto. Not that she does panto. She was saying that she worked with Emily Blunt when she was like 17 or 18. Emily Blunt, not Harriet Walter. Harriet Walter's in her 60s. I mean, Emily Blunt would have been just some sperm and some eggs then. Not, not even, even that. Not even. Not even that. Um, and she said that Emily Blunt was brilliant and everybody knew she was going to be really famous because she was just uber professional and great and nice. And that's my Emily Blunt story. So if so, the lesson to learn from that is if you're not great yet, you won't be. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't smashed it, guys, by the time you're 21, just give up. Just try and, you know, Do be, admin. be as quiet and as happy as you can be. Don't get in the way, yeah, for winners. Oh, uh, well, there you go. Um, should we have some letters? Yeah. Who Who is your favourite, whilst I look up these letters? Who is who's my favourite listener? Who, Chris <laughs> Webb. <laughs> Everyone's favourite Chris Webb. Um, look, who is uh, who is your favourite uh, badass lady heroine? Your female protagonist? Is, apart from Ripley, apart obviously. Apart from Ripley. Well, who, who else would make the top, you know, five? Well, I think, um, I mean, I know it's only because she's awful, but Nomi in Showgirls is obviously brilliant. <laughs> 
Badass lady. Hey, she and does. She, was, she goes on a revenge spree, doesn't she? Really she really does. The first thing she does is steal a thing at knife point. That's true, yeah. She gets that guy to leave his car. And then he picks her up at the end and she's kind of cool with it. They're both cool with each other. I love that film. I love that film so much. Verhoeven's um, oh, sex movies are weird. No, it's great, it's great. His um, robot movies are better. I absolutely love um, Liza Minnelli and Cabaret. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favourite female roles. And also uh, her lovely mum, Judy Garland in The Star Is Born. That's such a great film. Basically, if you ever get dumped by a man, watch A Star Is Born and go, oh, they're rubbish anyway. <laughs> I don't I, mean I, to bring any misandry to it. I'm not like that. I um, had a thought the I other love day. A Star Is Born. That um, think, I was thinking about uh, heroines in female protagonists in films. Mm-hmm. And Alien is sort of ahead of its time in terms of how... Uh, badass Ripley is yeah but I think it may have been either a, a mixture of happy accident and uh, and just you know uh, the team building towards something slightly better than what they had because yeah. Alien is at its heart a genre piece haunted house movie yeah. and it's it's the typical thing to do for a haunted house movie is your protagonist is a frightened woman yes and yet we know that Dan O'Bannon, who wrote the screenplay, wrote it gender neutral. Yeah. That's right. All of the parts All were gender, parts gender neutral, neutral, weren't they? Yeah. So um, he's written dialogue that isn't all girly, girly girl. Mm-hmm. And they've gone, oh, but in this genre, people like it when it's a, a, a fragile, delicate woman being chased around. And it's always the woman that survives as well. Yes. And so those combinations actually gave us one of the best heroines in cinema. Yeah. It, but in, in the Terminator, with the franchise that came along a bit later, yeah. and in Aliens, yeah. James Cameron, I think, has consciously pushed that agenda. Yeah. Because in Aliens, she is uh, explicitly maternal yes. and becomes a warrioress in order to protect. Yeah. And uh, Sarah Connor in Terminator, in the first one, has an arc from... Uh, girly girl to warrioress and in the second one is the most badass woman in all of cinema as well well that's why I prefer Alien to Aliens because um, Ripley in Alien is a human being yes. staying alive she's not a mother versus mother I mean that's all like really interesting and Aliens has its merits in many many ways but I think Alien's more interesting because it is gender neutral and it's one of the only examples of a female character that could be like the fact that she could be played by a man is really fascinating because you know sometimes women aren't all obsessed with babies and stuff <laughs> it's true sometimes they do sometimes other stuff sometimes they do other things you know like you know just have a job and then have to have a job survive and against a monster I mean, yeah we've um, all been there right guys we've all been there um but it just got me to thinking that maybe james cameron knew what he was doing yeah Ridley Scott, if you see his later work, especially Prometheus and stuff, maybe it was just a mistake. <laughs> just an accident. Oh, it almost certainly was. And Sigourney Weaver filled in the blanks very, very well. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm now, I mean, there are, it's like a million great female protagonists. They're just the ones from my own personal Of course, movie. yeah, yeah. What else have I got? I'm just thinking about the pre-Joss Whedon era, you know, when... Uh, Female warrioresses weren't as common. Oh, I'll tell you who is good. Who? Um, what's her name in Million Dollar Baby? Oh, Hilary Swank. Yeah, that's a great story. Doesn't end well for her, does it? It doesn't, and that, but that's why it's great as well. 
She is good. That's the story. That's the story of the champ. It's the story of Mm. uh, a person who tries to become. It's like the anti-sport. I mean, it's a sports movie. It's the sad sports movie ending rather than the glorious sports movie ending. It's not Rocky. It's not Rocky. It's the anti-Rocky. But the idea. It's Rocky where in the final act he gets lymphoma. Yeah, (laughs) but that's why. Like the champ is a great film because it's that sort of I'm going to do the best for my kid and I'm going to be a great fighter and and. don't want to give anything away, but Million oh, Dollar Baby so is quite a lot like The Champ, um, and that's what I, I really. I, I think it's a really. I think it's a great film. Yeah, I'd have given it an Oscar. I'd have given it two. Maybe it got two. I can't remember. Right, we've got some letters here. Yeah. Before I read them, I uh, want to fulfil my promise from last week. Marek isn't here, so I'll have to fill him in. But I just want to say, for people who understand, the dog survived. Um, so, we've got a letter here. Is this about the drop? The drop. Yeah. Is it good? I thought it was, it was meant to be rubbish. I've not listened to last week's episode. You know, I think it was incredibly cheap. Uh, it's got a fantastic cast. It's a fun little story. It feels like it, we've seen TV episodes as good as this now. Yeah. It, it just happens to have that's a great cast TV in it. Is you know, that's the thing. Yeah. It's it's The budget has only allowed them to sort of do... And it's a sort of fun little intimate thriller yeah and that's what telly is now so yeah no it's worth it's fun it's worth seeing if you like Tom Hardy or um James Gamba thingy Gambas what's his name Gambolfini Gandolfini you're s- thinking of Paul, Paul Giamacci you're getting the surnames I did up. it last week as well okay so I've got an email here um this is from Anne Coletta who would like it done in an Italian accent, preferably Sicilian. Oh God! Okay. Uh, what is what is that like? That's Italian American. I'm thinking of. Yeah. I'm thinking the Godfather. Yeah, he's so, got a Sicilian accent. But it's Sicilian. It's kind of like yes. this. Mm. Inconceivable. Um, it's not Sylvester the Cat. <laughs> that's, that's what I was doing. Whose catchphrase is inconceivable? You were kind of doing Sylvester the Cat. No. I was doing whatever his name is from the a... Princess Bride. Oh, is that what you were doing? Okay. What's his name anyway? Um, Wallace Italian. Sean. Wallace Sean. Thank you. Get mixed up with Sean Wallace from the Chase. <laughs> God, names! Can't we just all have a number? Can't we all just be our phone number? Yeah, that would be easier. Um, dear David, Marek, and Booty, long time no email. Sorry about that, but I've been too busy to stalk you. Uh, I mean, too busy to drop your line now and then. Happy belated 200th. I will do my celebrating at episode 208. Four years, wow! Film Fandango provided my soundtrack as I drove to Rhode Island from Albany, New York. We've been there. We have. It's really boring. It's quite dull. And then back again a few days later... So thank you for keeping me entertained. Hey, Marek. Not here. I get to drive through Norwich when I make this trip. Norwich, Connecticut, that is. I don't know Marek's connection with Norwich, um, but I'm sure he has one. I don't have cable or even free over-the-air TV at home, so I was excited to find out my hotel had free cable TV. Then was immediately disappointed when I realised it was channel after channel of rubbish. My movie choice was between Paul Blatt, Mall Cop, which I know Marek saw and enjoyed, and Knocked Up. Heard good reviews of this, but it's just not my thing. Very offended by a certain scene in Knocked Up. We'll get on to that. Oh, will we? Good. 
Anyway, I was wondering if you two have seen The Graduate 1967. Do you think this could be made as a contemporary film? As I thought Dustin Hoffman's character had a little bit of innocence or naivete that seems to be lacking in our current times. If you think it could be made today and said today, who would you cast in lieu of Dustin Hoffman, Anne Bancroft and Catherine Ross? If you don't think it could be said today, who could you cast in a remake set in the 60s? Also, I think a fellow Fandangan posted on the Facebook page about guilty film pleasures. When I was a teenager, my best friend and I saw Jumping Jack Flash, Whoopi Goldberg and Jonathan Price, over and over again. I am so ashamed now. I also, please forgive me, enjoyed Waterworld, and I've seen it at least three times since its release in 1995. I can't think of any more recent than that as I've become a grumpy commodion in my old age. See above reference to not wanting to watch Knocked Up, even though everyone else seems to love it. Keep watching the films, and So. Really fancy some Dolmio right now. <laughs> when is your Dolmio day? Yeah, huh? That's, that's the, all Italians yeah. speak like that. Uh, oh, like Mario. Know. It's a real Mario. Mario who? Uh, Mario Baratelli. No, Mario, <laughs> the Nintendo character, I, the plumber. Do they speak? Uh, they do in the cartoons, Not yeah. I've seen it. And when... Uh, Never played computer When uh, Bob Hoskins played him, he didn't do that accent, though. Um, my problem with Knocked Up is, uh, right, where she actually gives birth, they show a shot of the baby crowning. Right. And Catherine Heigl has, uh, well, it's obviously not her, this prosthetic <laughs> they vagina. They didn't put a baby up her in order to shoot that, no. The prosthetic vagina has no pubic hair whatsoever. It's Americans like, are weird about hair, though. But, like, she's having a baby. Yeah. You don't have a full... I mean, maybe you do have not had a baby, but come on. Also, I'm quite convinced that the reason people have pubic hair is so it's like, you know, the brushes at a car wash? Yes. When your car goes through and you get all the gunk off. To, I, to clean the baby. To clean the baby on the way well, out. obviously that's why uh, the inside is all hairy. <laughs> but the outside, what? Just like a doormat. You rub it off before you hand it over. Yeah. Okay, well, that anyway, makes sense. Anyway, I found it really offensive. But they are really weird about Spreading hair. the idea that women should have a full... I mean, obviously it's a woman's choice, but by putting it in a film, they're perpetuating the idea that but a woman has to be have no hair on her in America, she's having a baby. It's, in America, it's men as well. Uh, watched a New Girl episode recently where someone's just jokingly unbuttoning someone's shirt and he just goes, no, you don't want that unless you like hair. And it's just like... Do Americans seem to think sexuality means hairless uh, for both genders? And... That, to me, suggests they watch too much pornography. Mm-hmm. Oh, what you think? Yeah, I think probably. The, think? <laughs> the country who statistically have been proven watch more pornography than anyone else probably watch too much pornography. Okay. Anyway, um, other other questions we were asked there. The Graduate. The Graduate. Um, could it be made today? Dustin. Dustin Hoffman. Um, I think it could. I absolutely think it could. Yeah? Yeah. Set it on was Tinder. It was weird when when things were shot on film. You got a lot more sort of weedy, slightly odd-looking, charismatic men seducing ladies or being seduced by ladies, mm. rather than oh, we'll get onto that when we talk about the film you've chosen yeah. to talk about. But these days, everyone seems to be a mega hunk or a mega hottie, don't they? I don't think the graduate would work if it was Channing Tatum. Do you know yeah, what I mean? No, no, no. I mean, it would ha- it would only work if it was... It would have to be someone who... But who is that equivalent now? Who can open a movie but isn't... You know, doesn't oh. look like one day they will play someone in the Marvel universe. It wouldn't be someone who can... You wouldn't have it as someone who can open a movie. It would have to be, a, like, an unknown. 
But Justin Hoffman was fairly unknown, though, wasn't he, when he made The Graduate? Marathon Man had he made already? No, probably not. No, I think it was Anne Bancroft that was the um, mm. the big name. The legs on the poster were the big name. Everyone went, oh, Anne Bancroft's yeah. legs. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I, casting t- takes a lot of time. You can't just... Joe Lysett. <laughs> I don't think I'd believe it. Joe Lysett playing opposite Olivia Coleman. Okay. I mean, come on, if that's not a, well, there you go. I, I that's mean, not it's... amazing. And playing the woman, I don't know, throw a pin at someone who's just graduated from drama school. I don't care. <laughs> wow. Okay. Any guilty pleasure films? I don't. Well, no, this doesn't exist. You, you think you either enjoy them or you don't. Showgirls isn't a guilty pleasure. It's one of the greatest films ever made okay it's not a guilty pleasure no I, I i think i agree i think the concept of guilty pleasure sort of implies that you're you care too much about what other people think of it think oh. of you so you go it's a guilty pleasure so don't judge me oh um, I, do, I like dude i am not 17 i just don't nah. like i there's there's nothing there's nothing in my book or record collection or film choices that would make me go oh no someone's going to really judge me for that I'll say it's a guilty pleasure yeah I just I like Waterworld I think it's I've good not fun seen it it's uh, it's Mad Max on water one hundred percent Mad Max uh, it's uh, Waterworld I've seen on any sand films is it <laughs> yeah um, no I mean yes. You haven't seen Mel Gibson. No, you've seen one now, haven't I you? I haven't. You saw one. No. Expendables 3. Oh, he's in that, isn't he? Yeah. That's the only Mel Gibson film I've seen. Well, it is his most celebrated. It, so. I, I was worried. What if I got hit by a bus and I was lying in the road as my last moments ebbed away and I thought, oh, I wish I'd seen a Mel Gibson film. I mean, I'd be more worried those were your last thoughts, really. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, no, we poo-pooed your very concept no. of guilty pleasures. Which... Yeah, I'm so, so I just don't... It's not a thing... Like, I just... <sighs> First of all, I'm a stand-up comedian, so I'm so used to people hating me on site. <laughs> I just... I mean, like, well, by the time we get to it, people hate me because of my film collection. I'm pretty on... I'm safe territory anyway. Yeah. So, um... Well, that's fair enough. Have you seen Jumping Jack Flash? I've not seen it. It's great. I forgot Jonathan Price was in it. It's a really fun film. Is it? Really fun. Yeah, it's one of those fun 80s romp-alongs, unlikely hero, you know, uh, the reluctant hero sucked into a situation. It's really fun. Really fun. I'm confusing it then with that future dystopia that has Mick Jagger in it. What's that? Have you seen that? Time Cop? He's not in Time Cop. New Jack City? New Jack... No, not New Jack City. There's a film with Mick Jagger yeah, in it. I remember. I think it is Time Cop. Is it? I don't know. That's... You might want to look it up. Um, That's what came to mind. Hang on. I'm looking it up now. I'm sure you guys are just shouting it on the bus or wherever you are. Um, Free Jack. Free Jack. That's it. Bounty hunters from the future transport a doomed race car driver to 2009 New York. I have not seen it. Emilio Estevez, Renny Russo, Anthony Hopkins... And Mike from Breaking Bad. Oh, there you go. I good. I can say nothing about Free Jack other than I have pictures of it in my head. But well, you know, we knew it had a jack in it. Yeah. Well, so we we were doing all right. We we're halfway there. Um. All right. Shall we read one more letter? Yes. Uh, am I doing it again? Yeah. I just. Well, what accent do they want? They want. Also, you don't edit these letters. No, we don't. You should really edit them. No. Takes Sub too them long. down. Sub them down. No. Um, they want he, this is from Neil Godfrey and he wants it read in my Jeremy Clarkson voice from the sheriffs are coming on television oh, okay, so do you want to do that? No, you've got to do it then okay. 
Okay, this is a documentary series I voice for BBC One about High Court enforcement officers. I can't even remember. Of the problem. What? Hey? The High Court enforcement officers. What about them? Part of making society a worse place. No, they they get people's money back that's rightfully theirs. They take money off people. Yeah, off mostly off asshole businessmen who haven't given you the car that you've paid for. Oh, really? Is it that way around? Yeah. They they mostly. Oh, Dan, don't get me started on this. The system's broken, mate, but these guys, you know, sometimes... I mean, they just well, enforce without emotion. They're not like the Sheriff of Nottingham. That's where no. I thought they'd got the well, name well, from. Well, it is. The Sheriff of Nottingham is It is, is because coming. they're money collectors for the High Court, but, um, you know, now there's far more small businesses than peasants' hand. Okay. Didn't they? I guess. I don't know. Um, what voice do I do on the Sheriff's? It's been a while. Here's uh, a sort of... The sheriffs. Hello, guys. First time, long time here. Blah, blah, blah. I love the show. I was thinking during your discussion of Jason Clark last week of how his career is similar to Sam Worthington. Ugh. Both Australian, both appear in big American special effects blockbusters, Avatar and Planets of the Apes. They both star in a Terminator movie. Both have worked with Kieran Knightley. And finally, both are bland as fuck. Spooky, eh? I too am baffled by their success and can't see how they are so famous. Hopefully they will disappear soon. I notice that currently you are 88th in the film and TV podcast chart on iTunes, yet the Danielle Ward version is at 67. I don't get it. Even a Simpsons and Family Guy podcast is higher than you in the charts, and they haven't produced a show in over seven years. Does this depress you? Ouch. One last thing. You know when you see no animal was harmed in the making of this film during the credits of some films? Well, I was wondering what happens when an animal actually does get hurt or even killed during a shoot. Do they have to mention it or just keep quiet and hope that no one notices? Goodbye and good luck. Neil Godfrey, Ferrum. Sent from my Commodore 64. Oh, I'm from Ferrum. Do you know Neil? Old friend from school? Do you know it sort of rings a bell? Mm. Neil God, I think Neil. Oh God, I think Neil Godfrey was in my year at school. <laughs> Neil, were we in the same year at school? It would make a lot of sense. That would make sense. So we David went, was in Fairham last weekend. I was in Fairham. Wonderful place, Neil. You were, you were very sensible to stay. Um, uh, we went through three points there. Yeah. Now, do you know who Jason Clark is? No. Um, now he played John Connor in the Terminator film. No one went to see. Which one was that one? Um, Genesis. Oh, okay, um, I see that one. I, I started watching Salvation and turned it off after three minutes because it was so fucking boring. And I love Christian Bale. He plays the torturer in Zero Dark Thirty and he was just in Everest. He's that bloke. Oh, it's like someone has taken Chandler and photoshopped his features to be a lot smaller. <laughs> That's right. He, he's weird. Yeah. He's weirdly in a load of blockbusters. Oh my God, it makes me so depressed. There are better looking women than that. <laughs> He's not a woman. Oh, no, no maybe but, that was the mistake. He's, but, he's a man. He's a man. But to be a man in Hollywood, you don't even have to be good looking. I think you do. I think, but just somehow he's, he's not, got in. He's tiny but, Chandler. Well, I can also yeah, tell you. Chandler's face shrink his features. He's really boring as well. He's, he's really it. dull. Um, That's so, why yeah. I love Tom Cruise. I know a lot of people have a problem with him, but I think he's great. I like Tom Cruise. 
in the right role. And luckily, he only ever does the right role for him. He's very good at that, isn't he? Unlike, I would say, uh, for instance, uh, Jennifer Lopez, who only ever picks the wrong role. Yeah. Um, Or Halle Berry's not very good at picking roles, is she? Um, But anyway. I don't think that's the role's fault, Dave. No, you're probably right there. But no, she always... Emily Blunt, Halle Berried, all the way through uh, Sicario. Halle Berry. She Halle Berried, which is um, being terrified of everything. Um, that you know that um, weird staggered breathing that yes. people think is acting. Halle Berrying. That what and or Angel from Buffying as well. He doesn't do it when he gets to Angel. He's fine. It's only in the scenes of Buffy. It's like Buffy. <laughs> Used to really annoy me. I wonder if someone teaches you to do that. Everybody likes Spike. Spike never does that. Well, he does it a bit when he's back when he's a poet. He does a bit of when he's a poet. Spike. That's why he's called William the Bloody because his poetry was bloody awful. That's the joke. I haven't seen enough Buffy to get this clearly. Okay. The second point was that somehow the old absolute ones are higher in the iTunes charts. Now, uh, not to get too into it, we don't really care, but. iTunes works on acceleration, not speed. Yeah. Uh, it's how how many you're gaining or losing rather than how many you've got. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were above uh, Komodo Mayo when we first went independent because suddenly we went from zero to however many listeners we have. Um, I, w- I would guess that because they have the Absolute Radio brand on, people are still listening to them every now and again. Mm-hmm. And our publicity budget is zero. So I that's probably... Maybe. Maybe it's because people like me. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. I'm sure that's that's one of the reasons um, that people go, yeah, definitely. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's sad to hear, but I don't really care. As long as people keep writing in, it's fine. And no animals were harmed. We made no money doing it on Absolute, and you make some money now. We lost you? money doing it on Absolute. Oh, we did. We I've lost I've explained money it to oh, the okay. listeners. I've yeah. told them. I told them on the two hundredth episode why we left Absolute. Oh. Um, no. So now, luckily, we break even when, with your donations, and I may as well do it now. Uh, that's exactly how this works. Gotta keep Mama in your It cost fourteen quid to go see Sicario yeah. in London, and and that's not cheap. So if you would like this podcast to keep going, then please go to filmfandango.co.uk, follow the link there, and donate anything you can. Um, We've done over 200 episodes. You can listen to them all from our website. And to everyone who has, thank you very much. No animals were harmed in the making of this movie. Now, I don't think there's any legal obligation to put that. I think they do it if they've got a scene where an animal dies or something, just to make crazies not bother writing yeah, to Yeah, absolutely. Them. So they, won't, mean, they so won't write it if they have killed a horse. Yeah, I mean, it's not like when you see someone killed in a film, they have to put the end, no Tom Hardys were <laughs> killed in the making of this. No Banes were yeah, killed I mean, by uh, motorbike cannon in yeah, the making of this film. They don't have to do that. No. Also, killing a lot of animals isn't illegal, is it? So No, but obviously very famously, Cannibal Holocaust, where they do kill a turtle... Is that right? ...got huge backlash. Absolutely. I think they got taken for animal... I think there was like wow. a court case about animal rights, but also people thought people had been killed in that, so it was a bit weird. Well, do you remember that film, uh, was it called Outback, where there's the kangaroo shoot um, yes. footage, which is all real, of killing yeah. real kangaroos at night? Yeah. Absolutely horrific. Yeah. But, all real. Yeah. 
No, I think it's just uh, covering your bum against crazies. I don't really. I like... don't think there's any legal obligation to do it. I don't like animal snuff films. No. I don't really want to see it. Well, no, animal snuff films. I don't think it's a very niche. <laughs> no, that's, that, I mean, there's there's a world of difference in between, you know. Well, I don't know. If you're killing an animal for entertainment, though, is that worse than killing it for food? They keep pigs on their sides and then kill them for bacon. I think yeah. a kangaroo yeah. that has been a movie star shot in the wild is... I mean, movie star's a bit of a push. He I... wasn't... One of those kangaroos wasn't higher billing than um, Donald Pleasant. I still reckon the kangaroo that's killed in a film or the turtle that's killed in Hannibal Collibost... Hannibal Collibost... Yeah, Hannibal Collibost... Collibost... have had a lovelier life than the pigs that are kept on their sides and killed for bacon. Okay. Uh, Daniel's <laughs> buddy. He, he agrees. Mm. Although he does like bacon, he's conflicted. He does love bacon. Hello, listeners. I'm very sorry I cannot be there with um, with you, David and Danielle, today due to, would you believe it, work commitments. Who would have thought that finally, after years of unemployment, I'm managing to resurrect my career? Um, for our film lovers, you may be interested to know that I've been doing one of my weirdest ever jobs. It's a a family feature film called Two Hours, which will probably come out in 2016 if it gets made. I am fascinated to see how this turns out because I've done some of the the most offensive overacting ever seen in this. And also, if you're bored and on IMDb, you have to look up uh, <laughs> an actor or an extra called Phelim Kelly, P-H-E-L-I-M, Kelly with a K, um, j- just did some very uh, interesting extra work. You can get the gist of it by looking him up. Anyway, uh, um, that's what I've been doing. Um, so we'll talk about that at a later date. Um, meanwhile... I've had the time to go and see the film I've most been looking forward to um, for the past year, uh, The Martian. Uh, the reason I'm looking forward to this is because I've probably mentioned it and been banging on about it. I read Andy Weir, Andy Weir's book, the writer of the book. He published this on Amazon. as a, He self-published it. And by some fluke... About three years ago, I was going through Amazon looking for the top list of new books, and his was towards the top. And I thought, oh, do you know what? That's fifty p. Well, it's quite interesting. I'll give it a go. And I thought it was brilliant. I was really amazed. And I've read a couple of other books that I've tried, which some of the biggest shit known to mankind. But The Martian was brilliant. Well, it, it had to be because it later got sacked by publishers, and then it got sold became an international bestseller and then this film happened um now the martian has got a really good score on imdb everyone's going on about how great it was i went to watch it in 3d it's one of the very few films that works in 3d because it's not gratuitous 3d shots what worked for me was the landscape of mars you get to see it in its uh um 
beautiful um, 3D entirety, which made it seem more alien and more vast and more spectacular. That was a good thing about the film. The film's a good film. You ca- I can't deny that. Um, the problem is, and we talked about this before, books are better than films. Almost all books are better than films. A few ex- exceptions are, great adaptations are The, uh, the Godfather, Mario Puzo's book, was brilliantly adapted into a film by Coppola. Um, but And I actually prefer Apocalypse Now to Heart of Darkness, which is loosely based on. Um, anyway, that's beside the point. The main problem is that the book is not really a drama. It's about a character solving problems stuck on Mars. And you, as a reader, are his sole companion. And it's a monologue. And it's very difficult for any film to get across that feeling of uh, complete distance on uh, from people on Earth uh, in... In um, and re- replicate the uh, oh god, it's difficult. It's difficult without David here to fill in the gaps. Uh, it's difficult to to, to replicate that um, relationship between the reader and the author. He's talking in his. He's basically uh, it's a monologue in his mind. What are they called? Mind monologue. I know the word. It's a soliloquy. That's the word. I've done it. And he can't really do that on film. He has to say it out loud. And the character isn't really emotional. The character is quite scientific and matter-of-fact. And although Matt Damon is very charismatic, I don't necessarily think that he was f- faithful to the uh, character in the book. Well, maybe he was. Anyway, I didn't like all the Earth stuff. I thought Kristen Wiig, I don't know how to say her surname, the one from Bridesmaids, was massively miscast as a scientist. She looked like she looks like five percent of her is stuck in a comedy film and putting the wrong expressions. It just I don't know how this has got such a high rating. I thought it was just a fairly good sci-fi film. If you want to see a great sci-fi film about someone being stuck on uh, uh, on a planet, watch Moon. Moon is shits on this. Um. And a much better film, uh, and uh, maybe this is just more mainstream. I don't know. This looks great. Uh, people say it's returned to form from Ridley Scott. I don't think it's got any real edge to it. Um, I didn't really feel any sense of like in gravity. You feel a sense of her trying to get signed, but trying to get back to Earth, and it feels there's more tension here. I didn't really feel that tension in the book. I don't really think they... Sh- and they just had to pad it out with all these people on Earth trying to get them uh, him back. I don't know. I was disappointed. I think for many reasons. High expectations. Reading the book. The fact that the book was such a personal thing between you and a character stuck on Mars and done in a different way to normal books. Almost written by an autistic person. It just was a bit disappointing. Seven Marricks. I've talked for a long time. Next week, I'm going to talk about Macbeth. And I did a Macbeth double bill where I watched the new Macbeth and and then someone recommended to me the 1971 Polanski Macbeth. So just watch those two because it's it's fascinating. All right. Hey, I best get back to work because I'm so successful. Keep 
watching the films. So why don't we move on to the film you brought in? Why don't you tell our listeners what it is? This is a film that I've wanted to do on Film Fandango for a while. Um, And it is the film Bad Timing, which no one seems to have heard of. Bad Timing. It's a Nicholas Rogue film. um, And Nicholas Rogue obviously made Performance. He made Don't Look Now. The Man Who Fell to Earth. The Man Who Fell to Earth. The Witches. Which I still find weird that he made The Witches. Very odd, yeah. It's I haven't seen it in Walk years, but I remember about. it being properly frightening. And I know people... I mean, let's not dwell on The Witches as his you know, most celebrated work. But it's a properly good kids' adaptation. Brilliant And film. people remember the uh, Angelica Houston mask taking off as the scary bit. The little girl in the painting in the opening story was the bit that freaked me out yeah. the most. I mean, it's it's a brilliant, brilliant film. It, it, and it is odd, because he's got a real style, and partly what happens in a lot of his films is the very realistic sex, which doesn't happen in The Witches. No, very not, unrealistic. Not in the source material, I no. guess. He decided not to stick it in there just for... He decided just for not to stick it in there at all. No. Um, so... I really like Nicholas Rogue, and I found this film in um, a little weird independent DVD shop in Stoke Newington. It might be the one that's closed down now. There's a shop on Stoke Newington Church Street, and it always looked like a pawn shop because it's like a D- it's a, a DVDs and films, blacked out windows. I was like, this must this must be a pawn shop. Um, and I poked my head round one day because it had like had a few films in the window that weren't porn. And it isn't. It was just. It was just specialist films, just sort of films you can't get anywhere else. And um, I bought three films. One of which was Martin, that vampire film. Um, I've not seen that. Martin is like it's a George Romero film. And okay. I, I bought it as a present for someone. So it's like three films. I bought that, something else. And he said to me, the man in the shop said, "Have you seen this?" I was like, "No, I don't know what." And he's like, "It's part of." He said, "If you consider it a trilogy of." Nicholas Rogue film starring pop stars. It's the third one that he made. So so, he made Performance starring Mick Jagger, The Man Who Fell to Earth starring David Bowie, and then he made Bad Timing. Starring Art Garfunkel. Art Garfunkel. Who is, of course, uh, finishes that triptych of uh, sexy pop stars. Sexy pop stars. <laughs> Mick Jagger, David mm, Bowie, ooh. and Art Garfunkel. Well, he, there's a certain charm to him, actually, I think, in Bad Timing. Well, that's what they try to capture, don't they? Why don't you tell us briefly what it's about? It's about a very destructive relationship. It's about it's set in Vienna. It's about a, a crazy 20-something woman. You know, we all know her. Gets drunk. A little bit weird. Everybody's um, in love with her. Everybody's in love with her. Drapes stuff on things. <laughs> that sort of woman. Um, and oh, he, God, yeah. He's a, I've met those women who drape stuff drapes, on things. Um, had loads of vintage tact in her apartment. <laughs> sure. You know that kind of woman. Very messy. Very messy woman. Uh, and Art Garfunkel plays a largely prim and proper uh, PhD, he's a doctor, isn't he, of uh, psychology. And um, they meet and they fall in love and it's a very destructive, unhealthy relationship and it's told non-linearly, and the, it film, the film opens with Teresa Russell uh, being rushed into hospital because she's taken an overdose, and Art Garfunkel rushes her in, and they ask him, when did she call you? And he says, oh, it must have been out half an hour ago. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And then there's a shot of the answer machine of him taking the message, and his watch says, I think it's half past ten, it might even be mm. half past nine. And the so, rest is basically... What it, happened in those hours? What, what happened in those hours, and... 
what happened from the beginning of their relationship to that point simultaneously. Yeah. yeah, so mainly it's about their relationship and it's all told in flashback and it's all about how they got to a point where the thing that happens in these few hours mm. happens. And you've got Harvey Keitel as the detective who's uh, uh, investigating whether or not there's any foul play. Yeah. And you've got Denham Elliott as Teresa a man Russell's from... husband. Yeah, yeah. He, I love Denham Elliott. He's great. I, can't, I don't really know why. And He's it's... my favourite man named after a type of gene. And who is your second favourite man? Gene Simmons? Uh, this... Uh, gene... Um, Hackman. Rossiter from um no that's not his name is martin Rusty from the banjee <laughs> oh well oh well hey ho um yeah i i hadn't seen this film before i thought it was excellent i love it i really love this film i haven't seen uh don't look now um but i have seen the man who fell to earth yeah and the witches yeah um have I've, you seen but you've seen walkabout yes i've seen walkabout which is similarly creepy. Nicola, all well, of especially films if you've really seen creepy. Crocodile Dundee, because Wally from Crocodile Dundee abandons his children in the outback and shoots himself in the head, and it's the most unlikely spin-off of Crocodile Dundee I've ever seen. He sets fire to himself before he shoots himself in the head. You're right, he does, doesn't he? I think Nicholas Rogues are one of those great filmmakers who puts just in every film that he makes. There's a really iconic scene, just like one moment that you've not seen elsewhere in cinema. Which is also why I loved Under the Skin. Completely different film. Yes. Completely different filmmaker. No, but similar feel. Three in that moments. almost. I don't think Under the Skin is non-linear. It is a bit because you have characters re- recalling things. Yeah. And the, I but thought it's, what was... like, it's more the fact that in Under the Skin you get those these three moments in Under the Skin that I've never seen in a film before that I found incredible. Yes. Yes. And I think a lot of Nicholas Rogue films. I haven't seen them all. I've seen. Um, there's another one with Ter- Teresa Russell made quite a few films with him. Seven or something. Got together with him and they got married. They got married and then divorced. And then divorced, like most people. So yes, it's their relationship is so it's destructive, but it's not even in an obviously destructive way. In the way something like Sid and Nancy is really obviously destructive and romanticised. It's qu- quite subtly destructive in oh, yeah. many I'm, ways. I mean, I think it's very well told. You. You are sort of enjoying how they are enjoying each other in the early stages. Yeah. I mean, which is the correct way There's to tell it. There's lots of fun flirting, and you know, and she's a little bit out there, and he's a little bit reserved, and it is like it is. It, it, it's it's really fun, and even like the I say even like the the moment when it comes to what happens in those few hours between her calling him saying she's taken an overdose and him taking to the to the hospital. Um. It's quite, I mean, it's it's horrific, but also quite subtle by modern standards. Yeah. You, you know, there's there's a there's a brutality to it. Like, what I think is really interesting is they they play with who is the destructive one in the relationship. The storytelling plays with who that yes. is. They play with it being Teresa Russell. They play with it being Art Garfunkel because at first he seems like this quite sensible one. Um, but that, that it all builds to that moment in those when you finally find out what happens in those in in that space, um, and it's it's like brutal and horrific, but also oddly romantic, yeah, yeah. oddly in a very awful, destructive way. I think it's an incredible film. I think it's great. Yeah, it's it's really good. Um, but the, you did say, and this is I think you have to be on board with this as a Nicholas Rogue style, is that. 
he does tend to tell quite a slow story that builds to a w- moment. One moment, yeah. yeah. The same thing happens in Don't Look Now. Like, Don't Look Now, basically, when I first time I saw Don't Look Now was with my friends Mel and Tim, and Tim put it on. This first Nicholas Rogue film I'd seen, and he put it on. He says, it's really, really good. You've got to watch it. You've got to watch it. And um, watching Don't Look Now, some beautiful shots, you know, shots of Venice, looks really lovely. You're building it. There's a really scary bit at the beginning of Don't Look Now. Uh, and then it sort of builds up and builds up. It's quite slow. It's just about this couple and the breakdown of their relationship, but then finding themselves again after the after their daughter gets killed. And then and then and then and then you have the money shot at the end. And um, I'm sure you all know what happens at yeah, the end, yeah. don't you? So I'm going to say it. My friend Tim just sat up and went, "It's a fucking dwarf!" <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, he'd been waiting for two hours to go. It was a dwarf. He gets killed by a dwarf. He was just wanting to share that with you. And it was oh. really funny, and that's how Don't Look Now ends. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and it's it your great, friend though. Tim. It's such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful film. Don't Look Now. Oh. Well, thank you for bringing bad timing in. You're um, welcome. Where can people track it down? Have you any idea? I've is no it idea. Still, is it still as unavailable? Because wasn't it X-rated or something? Yes, it was X-rated in America. Um, I think just because they don't like the idea of Art Garfunkel nobbing someone, really. I mean, none of us are really into it. I think there's something quite endearing about him in it, I think. It, it was a bit like, and we said, <laughs> said this at the time, it is a bit like Andy Zaltzman going out with Natalie Dormer. I yes. mean, there's, a, there's an odd there's pairing to between yeah, them. Yeah. But then, you know what, they're in Vienna under communist rule. Maybe it was difficult to find someone hot to hook up with. <laughs> She's married to Denim Elliott. I mean, sure. it's like... She's got a type. It's like Natalie Dormer going out with um, uh, Andy Zaltzman while at the same time being married to... John Oliver. No. <laughs> Who's the modern Denim Elliott? <laughs> I'm thinking in our comedy analogy. Yeah. It's like um, Natalie Dormer being married to Count Arthur Strong. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so, I want to see that remake. Mm, that'd be great. That's if we're recasting it. Yeah, uh, who yeah. would play Harvey Keitel? Harvey Keitel looks exactly like John Travolta in uh, Pulp Fiction. It's odd, in isn't it? Timing, yeah. It's odd. Um, he's good in it. He's very good. Um, I don't know where you can get it. It might be available on YouTube. Um, it might be available from specialist DVD shops. If that they don't still sell exist. Porn, if they still exist. Uh, do you know what? It might be on Love Film, though I don't think it is. If you want to know what happens in the three hour... If you can't find this film and you want to know what happens in the three hour space between Teresa Russell calling out Garfunkel and him taking her to the hospital... Don't tell them. No, I'm not going to tell them. Get in touch. Email me. Oh, right. Okay. I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, t- spoilers at gmail.com. <laughs> well, thank you for coming in. You're welcome. And uh, filling a... in for Marek. Uh, um, do let's I get my it... money back for the commute? Uh, yes, you do. Yes, we, we cover that. But you will have to pay for your own milk and sugar if you've okay. used those in your tea. Um, well, uh, Marek will hopefully be unemployed again next week and he'll be back. Um, I would like to say we were we set up last week uh, that we were going to talk about a film called Dear Zachary, A Letter to a Son About His Father. Now, we, Marek and I have both seen it. Obviously, he's not here this week, so we're going to talk about it next week. It is a phenomenal documentary. It is freely and legally available on YouTube. So if you would like to know what we're talking about and therefore not have it spoiled next week, watch it in the next week. Homework for you. Dear Zachary, a letter to a son about his father. 
you will not regret it. It's a phenomenal piece of work. If you'd like to write to us about anything, recommend a film, or just shout at us for recommending something you hated, then do email us, dearfilmfandango at gmail.com. Or you can post things to one another on Facebook, forward slash filmfandango, or you can tweet us, at filmfandango, at Mr. David Reed, or at Captain Ward. Yes, um, we can DM, and I can tell you what happened. My foot's gone dead. Danger Mouse? Um, what, your foot's gone dead. On Twitter, if you do at Captain Ward. Oh, right. Or MissBonnieHouston at gmail.com. It's an assistant I invented for booking gigs. <laughs> That's very good. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, yeah, so um, there'll be a new series of Do the Right Thing out in January, probably. We've got two gigs coming up in the autumn. Uh, we're doing the 15th of November at the Phoenix and the 6th of December at the Phoenix in the afternoons. It's not been put online yet because we're... There's something, something else is going on the 15th and we can't decide whether to go on first or second it's literally that tedious that's what we're talking about <laughs> uh, come along to them say hello uh, and that's it really that's all I've got going on alright whoa myself and Marit Larwood will be back next week but in the meantime keep watching keep the watch, films keep watching the films keep watching the films keep watching keep watching them keep watching the films 